Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. We're going to talk about praying with power. Too many alliterations. Praying with power. And then next week, I'm going to talk about sex, so we're going to have a lot of fun. But this week, praying with power. Praying with power. Now, we have a scourge in our home. It destroys the family unit. It rips brother from sister, parents from children. We call it Google Home. And it sits up on top of our cupboard and in a normal, perhaps more well-adjusted household, this is what would happen. You would say something along the lines of, hey, Google, what's the weather today? And it would tell you in a polite, reasonable, and reassuring tone what the weather would be today. Fantastic. What actually happens in our household is somebody like, says, hey, Google, play, insert Taylor Swift song here. And within three seconds, a competing sibling says, no, Google, play this. And then they scream back and forth at each other until basically Google has a meltdown. And seriously, I'm convinced it doesn't work properly anymore because there's been just such a competing back and forth. Ask our Google sometime to play King of Kings by Hillsong. And it just goes into like this obscure 90s, like trumpety, scarred, upbeat number. We don't know what it is, but it's fantastic. It's become like the soundtrack of, uh, of our internship. It's great. But... It's not what we want it to do. What does it do? Well, it sits there listening all the time. That's what it does. It sits there collecting all the information about us, good and bad, perhaps storing it away to make judgment on it sometime. In short, it operates how we sometimes think God operates. It's, it's there, but it's collecting our information for use at a later time to go, oh, oh, someday I'm going to dump all this back on you so that you learn a valuable lesson. huh? Like God is not an old man shaking his fist and telling you to get off his lawn, but we treat him like that. We treat him like that because we don't have the right idea about his power and about his presence. So I want to talk about that tonight. Now, one of the reasons we don't think about that well enough is because we have power struggles in our own society. And they are real power struggles that deserve to be noted. So, I mean, what, you may know that uh, one of the great wrestles over the last 20 years has been about the workplace and holding power in the workplace. Because the baby boomers, God bless you if there are any here, but this is usually a safe space to speak about baby boomers. The baby boomers have held a lot of power. They were the largest generation for a long time. And historically, they grew up and they held all the leadership positions in the workplace. So the Gen Xs came through, kept butting up against this glass ceiling. The Gen Ys came through, started butting up against this glass ceiling as well. And it's really only now that they're starting to retire that you're seeing it break through. The Gen Zs, however, those of you who are in the room who are Gen Zs, you did not bother with this paradigm. You just said, well, why would I worry about that when I can just become a CEO of my own startup? Get me a Kickstarter immediately. And then you just started things, this entrepreneurial spirit. So this actually kind of negative display of power, not intentionally, right? But what's become a bit of a negative glass ceiling has created this entrepreneurial spirit. But the power struggles are real. Gen Zs uh, do not trust power. So the Barna Group, uh, an American research group, did a bunch of global research, and they researched, uh, they, they uh, 
yeah, research with more than a thousand young Australians, all in the Gen Z age bracket. So this is Australian research, even though Barna's an American company originally. And it showed this, that the greatest fears, this is brand new data, the greatest fears of Australian young adults are number one, we like to hold rallies about it, climate change, and very, very close behind it, corruption. Corruption. That's really interesting. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. We didn't really think about corruption that much, which is kind of ironic because 1987, Wall Street, greed is good. You know, it's, it's all happening. But we didn't really think about it that much. So let's, let's take that, though, and combine it with this next stat. The Barna Group then said, OK, let's put out this statement. Do you agree with the statement that our society is facing a crisis of leadership because there are not enough good leaders right now? And 83% of Aussie young adults agreed, and 75% of Christian Aussie young adults agreed, and 99% of encounter young... What? No, stop it. <laughs> Terrible data. But 75% of Christian Australian young adults agree that there is a lack of leadership, a lack of competent leadership. And when you put that hand in hand with the corruption, it begins to tell a story. We do not trust institutions. And why would we? We took our hard-earned money and we put it in the bank. And then we found out that the banks were self-serving and corrupt, and they needed a royal commission. And then we took our parents and grandparents, and we put them in aged care facilities where we thought they would be adequately cared for. And we found out that the people caring for them institutionally were inept and corrupt. And then, and make no mistake, this is the worst of all, we took our children and we took our very spirits, and we brought them to churches, and you know the rest. Why would we trust institutions? Why would we? Over the last 10 years, Royal Commission has become like the buzzword of the decade. That is not a healthy decade. That is not a healthy decade. Why would we trust institutions? There is a reason that our generations think that leadership structures are broken, and that corruption is a global epidemic. So we need to take seriously what power means. A couple of great quotes about power that you may have heard. Absolute power, sorry, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So the more power you have, the more it corrupts. And perhaps one you've all heard a bit more lately, with great power comes great. Who said that? <laughs> Voltaire said that, but I knew you'd say Spider-Man or Uncle Ben. <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. So when we talk about praying with power, we need to talk about it responsibly. We need to talk about it in light of the way we have seen power abused, because the way we see our authority figures abuse power affects how we look at God, the ultimate authority figure. Of course it does. This is what we do. We look around for examples, especially when we come to the church. Because the church is meant to be full of believers who imitate Christ and then pass down that imitation to others. So when that trust gets broken, we get hurt at a deeper level. And if you're here in this place, and if you have been hurt because you have had your trust betrayed by an authority figure in the church, on behalf of the church, I repent. We repent. We are so sorry. We cannot restore that. We can only ask for forgiveness and offer our repentance. There is no excuse about it. We need to own that. We need to live in the truth before we can move into the future. I talk a lot about how we're a future-focused church, and I truly believe that. But sometimes if you don't deal with what's in your past, 
You won't even be able to get it to your future because it's dragging along behind you like a ball and chain. You've got to deal with what's within the past. So we have to own it, acknowledge it, do something about it, which is what the Royal Commission has done. And there's a redress scheme going on. The Uniting Church is part of that. I'm proud to be part of an organisation that really leans into that. And then we look to the future and we go, how do we redeem this? And more than that, how do we even understand power in light of all this? How do we? Because there's always power structures. In a family, there's a power dynamic. Anytime a parent says, go to your room, and the kid goes to their room, that's a power dynamic. I mean, not in our household, obviously, but still, other households, (laughs) possibly, I've heard. As we get to today's scripture about power and authority, we have to remind ourselves of our natural distrust of power, but it exists. And by becoming aware of it, we can learn how to use it responsibly. And we can learn how God intended it to be used. So let's dig into Matthew chapter 9, because Jesus, as always, challenges our understanding of power. So Matthew chapter 9. Jesus gets into a boat, comes over and comes to his own town. The wording there makes us think it's Nazareth. It's probably Capernaum where we think Jesus lived or was based out of when he did his ministry. So he comes to his own town and they bring him a paralytic lying on a stretcher, a paralyzed man. There are stories throughout the New Testament of friends that bring somebody that can't come by themselves, that he can't come under his own power, so his friends do it for him. And they bring him into the presence of Jesus, and we have our first genuine encounter between Jesus and the religious elite. Now, we can probably infer that they were around before that, but we don't know this. This is the first time it's written, Jesus, the scribes, together. And the scribes are just watching him, and the paralyzed man comes in, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Guess who gets to say that? Only God. Only God. So the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking... This guy's blaspheming. He's speaking evil of the name of God. He's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's ironic when you step back and look at the whole picture and know Jesus, obviously. But they didn't. They didn't. And to be honest, it's not an entirely unreasonable train of thought, but it's lost in one particular angle. And Jesus knows this. And I don't even think this is because he's a prophet, although he was a prophet as well. I just think he knew this because it was kind of obvious. As soon as he said, your sins are forgiven you, and these religious leaders are there, he probably heard the you know, as this intake of breath comes in, he would have heard that. And so he stops and goes, hey, so what do we think he came here wanting? Maybe to get up and walk? But which is easier? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven you, to offer this phrase of encouragement and life? Or is it easier for me to heal him? And they're just sort of scratching their heads about that. And he said, look, Just so you know, and then he uses this word authority. Just so you know that me, the son of man, I have authority to do this. Basically, watch this. Get up and walk. And the paralytic stands up abruptly, takes his mat and goes home. And everyone is amazed. And everyone praises God. And everyone misses the point that the bit that was actually harder was to say your sins are forgiven you. Because only God gets to do that. Only God gets to do that. So when he says, which is easier, the answer actually in real effect is to say, get up and walk. Now, we don't think it's that, because if you say your sins are forgiven you, I mean, we don't know. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Are they? I don't know. He's still there. Uh, Maybe. You know, there's a bit of of uncertainty there. But to say get up and walk, well, if he doesn't get up and walk, it's it's pretty clear, right? (laughs) But Jesus says, no, 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 these things go hand in hand, and you're missing 
You're missing what I'm really trying to bring here. So you come and the crowds gather around and they're like, what's Jesus going to do next? Like, this is a great show. You've got, next time he comes, you've got to pay out for the front row seats because honestly, like, you don't, you don't want to be in the back for this. You see more when you're around the front. No, he wasn't charging tickets just in case anyone is wondering. But that was the attitude of the crowd. They're like, how close can we get? What miracle can we see? What exciting thing is he going to juggle this time? Oh, man, I really hope he does the water to wine thing again. I missed that one. And look, it's a, I, I just would have wanted to be there for that one. It's all right. It doesn't matter. And they're just looking for a good time. They're just looking to be shown a miracle, to be shown an act of power. And Jesus says, what you're missing is that I am here with you. And I have come and I've offered forgiveness that only God can give. And I've shown you power that only God has. You're missing this. God's with you right now. See, we are all like the crowd so often. We're hungry for the power. We want a miracle. We want what we need. And Jesus says you need to be more hungry for the presence of God than the power of God. The presence of God. Now, I don't... I don't want to make fun of, of people seeking the power of God because, it, you know, it's not really something to make fun of. A lot of the time we come to God asking for the power of God because we desperately need a move of God. We, we have people who are hurting. We have family and friends who are ill. And without God, nothing's happening. It's, they're in only God moments. But the problem is... When we lean all, all our heart and all our strength and all our energy into the power of God, that means that unless that God behaves the way we want to, aka like a genie in a lamp, then God isn't real for us. God can only be real in this situation if his behavior matches our expectations. But God is outside of space and time. He is so big we can't see him. So... He can't just be limited to our expectations. Can you have any idea how just, let me tell you, if God was limited to my expectations, it would be an absolutely hopeless God, honestly. Like, I'm a normal Aussie guy. I do not support the best sports teams. They're always just a bit below. It's always the underdog, you know? Do you really want a God that only is the underdog? Like, no, I want a God that ultimately has victory over everything in heaven and in earth. I don't want God shaped by my expectations, my image, and what I think power looks like, because God's power is more than that. But it's not to negate the need for power. We do need that. We need healings. Sometimes we need miracles. Sometimes we need tiny little things. We're just grasping for something and God reaches out and in his grace and mercy just offers us just something as we need it. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but it's honestly, it's life-changing. But here's the thing. We can't rely on the power of God because that makes it just about what we get. And God is not your genie. He's your father. And he is in it for a relationship, not a transaction. And if you, if, you, if you have a father, you all have or have had fathers of some description, whether you know them or not, if you have a good relationship with your dad, you know why that's so important. I mean, it's one thing to come to your dad and go, Dad, can I have 50 bucks? You know, that's helpful. People like it. I would imagine, no, let me give, it, let me give you guys a more real world example. Oh, yeah, Dad, I, yeah, I finished all the food in the fridge. So I'm going out. Can you restock it? Yeah? Hitting more home for where you're at? Yeah, okay. It is, it is helpful to receive things from our Father. It is helpful to be given things where we know God's or our Father's power has been involved. 
But what is more powerful than anything is the presence. You know, I'm constantly surprised by how much kids want just the presence of their father. My father came over last night, and we were hanging out and eating steak and drinking wine, and I just. I just smiled, you know, and I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to have a good relationship with my dad. I know not everybody does, but I just realized, like, just the presence of my father is, brings me joy. Just the presence. He wasn't doing anything. He, like, literally, he wasn't doing anything. Thankfully, he wasn't criticizing the way I cook steaks, but he, he wasn't doing anything. He was just there. The presence of the father is going to bring you more joy and more hope than the power will. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? I think we need to start changing our prayers. And we talked about this. We talked about the Lord's Prayer and uh, the Acts Prayer and how we go from this posture of praise and adoration through confession and, and giving thanks. And then finally, we give out our prayer requests and they sound different. But I just think we need to move from praying for God to move in power constantly to saying, God, I want to be in your presence. Because I don't know about you, but the times when God has changed my life are usually more when I've been resting in his presence and seeking his face for the sake of seeking his face. Then because I was saying, God, I need spiritual 50 bucks. God, I need a handout today. Now, again, I don't want to negate people who are in this room and you're sick or you desperately need a job or you've got a broken relationship. These are real things, okay? I'm not trying to minimize them. I'm just trying to say that when you get the presence of God, you begin to get some of these things, but you get them through a different perspective. You get them from the perspective of Jesus, who was always of the perspective of, Father, your will, not mine. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your will, not mine, yours. He gets to the garden of Gethsemane. And in his darkest hour, he is on his knees praying, weeping blood. And he says, I don't want to die, in effect. But your will, not mine. He craved presence. He craved the purpose of God. He craved the presence of God the Father. That's why he kept retreating. We talked about this. That's why he always longed for intimacy. That's why he built a relationship in the secret place, not based on the approval of the crowds, not based on whatever power or miracles he did, but on the presence of God with him. That hand on the shoulder saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. For some of you tonight, that's what you need. You need to be reminded that God is looking at you saying, you are my daughter, you are my son, and I am pleased with you. And that is the moment you need right now to reignite your faith. And some of us do need our faith reignited. I do, all the flipping time, way more than I would, would like to admit. I need to get down on my knees and just say, God, what have you got for me? I just want whatever you've got. Whatever your power looks like, that's what I want. And usually I bring my prayers, and usually they're ridiculous. They're like, you know, help my kids behave. And God's like, I think that's why you're the father here on earth, isn't it? To sort of model that and guide it and shape it. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you're God, so do, do the God thing. I was like, sorry, am I, am I your father or am I a genie? I'm like, ah. It's, you know, this, these are the kind of embarrassing conversations I have with God. But as we call out for the power of God, we need to do it from the presence of God. From the presence of God. Friends, if you want your life changed, if you want your faith to rise, if you want to see God work in your life, take more time to be with God. Move from God. 
uh, the great Martin Lloyd-Jones, incredible writer and preacher, he saw this revival break out over Wales. And he said, so often we ask ourselves why God isn't moving in power in our life the way he moved in the great saints of old, where we really should be asking why we're not living lives similar to the great saints of old. It's harsh, but it's fair. (laughs) You and I know that we could give more time to God in prayer and scripture. And more than that, more than that, simply being with God in silence. I know that because every time I go to people just casually, hey, how's Bible reading? How's the prayer? The first thing people say is, and this is when they're doing well, is like, well, it could be better. Like, yeah, I know. Of course it could. That's not really the point. But we need to carve out that time for God. So what I want to do is I want to just, we're just going to sit for a couple of minutes and pray. It's not going to be any music. Some of you are going to go borderline insane by the end of this. But we're going to hear from God. And we're just going to say what Samuel said. Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And if he says something to you, write it down if you can. But let's take a couple of minutes now and just say really simply, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.